Hey there, boys and girls out there in Radio Film School land. There's a fun deleted scene after the end credits, so stick around. Now, on with the show. From Daredreamer FM, this is Radio Film School. Homeroom Session 1, Cinemaverick, A Filmmaker's Journey. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Have you ever noticed that father figures and father issues have historically played a key role in film history? That's impossible! Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Wait now, where do you think you're going? Want to give my flower a drink? Oh, I'll give the give that the flower. I'll give it a drink. I'm not gonna cry for you. <laughs> God damn you, fucking asshole. Say it louder. I've abandoned my child! I thought you weren't going to become a man like your father. My father's no different than any other powerful man. You know, I haven't had much of a chance to talk to you man to man, Russ. Well, I've only been a man a few days, Dad. (laughs) But now I'm glad I did. It's given me a chance to spend a lot more time with you and... uh, Uh, Audrey. Audrey, yeah. And of course, perhaps the most famous of all, the previously referenced scene from the undeniable best episode in the Star Wars saga, pre-JJ, the reveal of Darth Vader as Luke's father will go down as perhaps the categorical biggest cliffhanger in cinema. Well, um, unless you know German. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Oh, right. So you just happen to guess the biggest cinematic reveal in history? Vader in German means father. His name is literally Darth Father. Huh. Why is it that fathers, or the lack thereof, play such a role in cinema? I was truly fascinated with how many times this topic popped up in my conversation with filmmakers. My style of storytelling, of um, telling other people's stories, uh, tend to evolve as well. Here is award-winning Silicon Valley filmmaker and Full Sail alum Alex Vo. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm getting a little philosophical here, but uh, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Philosophy is a big part of the show. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Alex's work is amazing, so getting his perspective on filmmaking was thrilling for me. During my conversation with him, he told me, "There's a good quote. Um, again, I don't know even who says it, but it's almost like how could you." Um, tell someone else's hero's journey when you haven't overcome your own. Now, just to provide context, the hero's journey Alex is referring to is Joseph Campbell's explanation of story in his book, A Hero of a Thousand Faces. It outlines what's called the monomyth. Think of it as a sort of blueprint or structure to popular stories that has been recognized by man throughout time. You see it in religious stories, you see it in myths, you see it in tales, you see it in stories going all the way back to the Odyssey. Star Wars A New Hope is famously used as a modern day hero's journey example. You have a hero who receives a call. You must learn the ways of the Force if you're to come with me to Alderaan. He first refuses the call. I'm not going to Alderaan. I'm going to get home. It's late. I'm in for as it is. Then he goes on a wild adventure fulfilling that call before he or she comes out the other side a new person. I got him! Great Cracky! A key element of the hero's journey is a passage through the abyss. That's what I'm referring to when I ask Alex. Do you feel like you've been on your own? 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, for sure. I, I've definitely uh, spent a lot okay. of. Okay. All right. So part of the hero. Sorry to cut you off, but part of the hero's journey is like going through that, going through the valley. Yeah. And, and coming out the other. For you, what was that? What was the? What was your hero's journey? Valley that you went through, the belly of the well, if you will. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I didn't have a very strong family background, and so, um, gosh, my my dad pretty much walked out um, when when I was pretty young. So I was raised by my single mother. That eventually, um, she kind of grown really uh, into a deep depression to the point where she's schizophrenic right now. So I've I've been her caretaker for a good number of of years. And um, when, when you're kind of forced to really kind of take care of the people around you and, and you're kind of forced to grow up so early it's really hard to kind of focus on yourself and you know even considering what dreams I had at the time um, I, I knew yeah I knew filmmaking was always something I loved doing but to but to even think about um, pursuing it as a full-time profession and you know it just seemed just uh, way out of I don't know just out of reach for me I didn't just talk to directors and EPs, I talked to all kinds of artists. By far, one of my favorite and admittedly fanboy conversations was with Slash Film co-host Jeff Kanata. Now, Jeff is an actor by trade and, and rose to fame on the Revision 3 show, The Totally Rad Show. Uh, once that show ended, he and his buddy Anthony Carboni started We Have Concerns, a, a top-ranked iTunes podcast. It's very funny. Be sure to check it out, wehavconcerns.com. All that to say, Jeff is hip-deep in pop culture and is a true connoisseur of cinema. Jeff and Anthony's show has this running joke about Jeff telling dad jokes. Essentially, really corny and cliche jokes that your dad would tell. Hey, you know what's a great shirt to wear? A shirt that says no Team dad. Team dad joke. No dad. Team dad joke. No Team dad, dad joke. Wehaveconcerns.com slash shop and buy the no dad joke t-shirt. So it was only natural the topic of fatherhood will rear its head. A recurring theme that you see in Spielberg films is fatherhood um, yes. and the relation to fatherhood. And just knowing your whole dad jokes thing and what you said about your dad earlier, is that something that has connected with you with Spielberg films, I wonder? A hundred percent. I mean, a lot yeah. of a lot of the the... Uh, thesis, not thesis, but the themes of of Spielberg are that uh, divorce and and loss of 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 childhood innocence and parental supervision and all that stuff. Right. I didn't really go through that. I had a very stable, strong family, and I'm very um, grateful for that. But fathers and sons and the and the feeling of fatherhood and the responsibility of fatherhood is something that has always resonated with me as uh, both a son and uh, a person who expects to be a father at some point, right? So the idea, the idea of that, that role and, and the responsibility of that role and doing it right and feeling that my own father set a really high bar um, for that and set a great example for me as a man uh, and, and just sort of manhood in general and, mm -hmm. and what that means uh, to, to pass on generationally, I find to be very compelling uh, in 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 art, but perhaps the most profound and for me most personal discussion about this topic of fatherhood and how it applies to filmmaking was with this man. Last night, I had the most interesting dream. 
chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of the two and a half million people who have seen this. The spellmaster clears his throat. Young man, your word is father. That's Marshall Jones, spoken word artist and deeply pensive, and dare I say, spiritual soul of a man whose talent has captivated millions. His fame is due in no small part to a small band of filmmakers one or two of you out there may have heard of, a little Portland-based production company here by way of Canada called Still Motion. Still Motion started out shooting weddings and quickly became known for their brilliant work. Just by chance, an employee for the NFL found one of their wedding films on Vimeo, loved how they told stories, then hired them to shoot the Super Bowl. The freaking Super Bowl. A wedding videography company was hired to shoot the Super Bowl. Ravens draw first blood 7-0, next Niners possession. The rest, as they say, is history. Their focus now is high in commercial work, and they've shot videos for companies like AT&T, Apple Computer, and Toyota. They've gone on to Emmys, to shoot a feature documentary, they're now working on a second, and they teach all around the world. This spelling father video they created with Marshall was picked up by Upworthy and has gone on to become one of the most popular videos on the site. When we return, we'll get a behind-the-scenes look at the making of that seminal film. Father. M-O-T-H-E-R. Father. Please listen carefully. Hey there, everyone. Radio Film School is about telling stories. Stories from the world of cinema and filmmaking that you don't get to hear every day. As such, we want to tell the stories of the unsung heroes who don't get the sponsorship deals or the nationwide tours or have the huge Twitter following. Those of you below the line, grips, gaffers, best boys, craft services, makeup, set decorators, even PAs. We're going to call the segment Get a Grip, the trials and triumphs of the unsung heroes of filmmaking. If you are or know of someone who fits into this category and has some great stories to share, shoot us an email at radiofilmschool at daredreamer.fm. But get a grip in the subject. Let's shine that spotlight on those of you who are so often in the shadows of directors, DPs, and producers. Okay, let's pick up where we last left off. It all started with the BioBeats piece. That's Patrick Moreau co-founder and lead storyteller of Still Motion. This is Patrick giving an explanation as to how Still Motion and Marshall Jones got hooked up. And BioBeats had then commissioned Marshall to write a piece about what they did. And so we got connected with Marshall as them asking, you know, can you bring him into this? Can you film something for us with him in mm-hmm. this piece he's made? So we kind of naturally came together. But in doing that, you know, we got sent his or- original reading for the BioBeats piece. And we were all kind of just blown away and, and started to do a little bit of research on him and then came across his touchscreen piece, which was um, one of the most moving pieces of spoken word uh, that I've ever seen. It was difficult to connect when friends formed cliques. Now it's even more difficult to connect now that cliques form friends. But who am I to judge? I face Facebook more than books face me, hoping to book face to faces. I update my status, 420 spaces to prove I'm still breathing. In my conversation with Marshall, he shares how he and Still Motion were bartering services. He would do some poetry mojo for their promo video, and in return, they would film some of his poems. Needless to say, he loved the idea. So then we had decided, hey, you know, we can exchange, um, you know, your work for for our work. Cool, great. I mean, I'm not going to say no 
to them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 you want to record? No problem. And it was just a, a great night of kind of him sharing different things, and we had different wardrobes and spots in this big warehouse. Um, and we kind of did a couple takes of, of a few different of his pieces. <laughs> it was an interesting night, the night that uh, um, they decided that we were going to do it because they were like, hey, we want, we want to film some of your poems. And, uh, you know, in exchange for some other work that I, that I was doing for them. And it was like, sure, no problem. This Spelling Father clip was huge for Marshall. It was picked up by Upworthy and has opened many doors for him. But what I found so fascinating what was such a storybook beginning to the making of Spelling Father was the magic that happened in the room when Still Motion heard it for the first time. And uh, so we were just going through some poems and that was the poem. I was like, oh, I have one more. And they were like, yeah, sure. And then I did it. And then after I did it, all of a sudden, like they it went from like, Oh, we're filming like you know one shot to like hold on we need to like set this up <laughs> and put the background and like so on and so on like it, it just it was um they it was cool like again i was just happy to be in front of any one of their cameras <laughs> like just <laughs> right. because you know they have fan they do fantastic work and they have fantastic you know um, machinery i think what made spelling father stand out was I am incredibly biased towards story. So when you ask me anything like this, I'm going to say it's it's the story and it's the story that hit on a large universal truth that a lot of people connected with that has strong conflict, which, you know, we all know drives story sure. um, and is something that not a lot of people talk about. And I think it's those elements that it was actually more presented in an artistic way as opposed to a purpose first, like this is, you know. I want to talk to you about something and this is you know who my mother was and everything else it's it's this poetic piece that really brings you on a journey something happened in the room that evening patrick and the gang at still motion were moved in such a profound way it changed the course of their evening and of all of their lives i asked patrick why he thought the piece had such a profound effect it's got such solid structure mm -hmm. where you get this conflict early on and you don't quite understand what he means or what he's saying. And then he takes you on this journey to reveal that, you know, his mother is this um, incredibly supportive figure in his life. And I hope that one day I'll be as great of a father as she was for me. You did not ask me to spell deadbeat, sir. I think that's really what it was. And it's interesting if you read the comments on uh, something like Vimeo, you know, that they are kind of polarizing. By far, the vast majority of people absolutely love the piece and respect the work. And most people really connect with uh, the idea that he's expressing. But then you do get some people who are like, my dad was amazing. How can you say this? And, you know, because it, it can be polarizing, which often strong art <laughs> says something. Yeah, it's sure. What I found intriguing about all of this is that if you listen to the TEDx version of the piece, Marshall doesn't use the word deadbeat. I hope that one day I'll be as great of a father as she was for me. You did not ask me to spell disappointment or heartbreak. You did not ask me how to learn to grow to be man enough to walk 1,000 miles of forgiveness, sir. Why did this story change? What happened between the still motion recording two years ago and the TEDx recording a year later? Was there a reconciliation of sorts? Did the piece just naturally evolve? Only one man truly knows the answer, and that's Marshall himself. 
At some point later this season, we just may find out the answer to that intriguing question. Because what Webster says means nothing around here, around here. My father's sitting right there. I love her. We've explored how this topic of fatherhood has a profound effect on filmmakers. From Spielberg to still motion. The father wound is one that many of us can connect with. I think that is why Marshall's poem affected Patrick and his team so much. Or why it elicited such passionate comments on Vimeo, which, for better or for worse, is traditionally known for strictly comments of praise. Whether or not your parental relationship was a powerful one, as an artist I think it's vitally important to find your vulnerability and be willing to let it affect and infuse your craft. Because when you do, you will also affect your audience in poignant and profound ways that will move them. I think Jeff Kanata put it best when he said, We all feel like we're the only ones feeling these things. And when you come from a place of being intensely personal, even if it isn't someone's exact experience, they can relate to the feeling that it's all yours. I know you thought I'd never send it, but usually it takes me a long time, but eventually I get around to doing things I guess I should do. From Marshall honoring his mother in spoken word, we transition to mine. That voice you hear is the voice of my mother, recorded almost 40 years ago as a message to my father. Ron is going to talk first. He has a lot to tell you about his school and about the things that he's doing. Next time on Cinemaverick, we'll find out specifically how the relationship with my dad planted the seed for filmmaking. And we'll also look at the powerful role a mother can play on a filmmaker's journey. My mom had bipolar. This is Patrick again of Still Motion. And she struggled with bipolar for probably 10 to 15 years. Next time on Radio Film School, Cinemaverick, A Filmmaker's Journey. Radio Film School consists of different segments. Most will be edited as complimentary segments alongside Cinemaverick, A Filmmaker's Journey, which for now will be bi-weekly. This stuff takes a while to cook. In the interim weeks, we'll bring you our standalone segment, Short Ends. These are miniature radio documentaries about all things cinema, but don't fit within the context of the main show. If you get a chance, check out last week's segment, What's in a Name? Next week, we'll have another Short Ends episode. Then look for the next Cinemaverick installment the week of September 15th. I'm hoping you like what we're doing here. As you can see, it's both quite an undertaking, but also quite unique for this industry. But for a show like this to continue, we need your help. Frankly, we need you to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes. Now I know you hear podcasters say this all the time, but it really does help. It helps the show get found and it helps us know that you like what we're doing. In addition to your review, Tell us about the movie that made you want to become a filmmaker and why. Throughout the season, we'll pick stories to be read on the show. Be sure to leave your name and a plug for any films you're currently working on. Lastly, consider becoming a member of Dear Dreamer FM. That's another way you can help the show. 
For a monthly price that's less than that of a venti iced caramel macchiato, members get contract and proposal templates, permanent access to bonus audio content, ebooks to help you crafting your career, discounts, and more. Every month, we're going to be adding new goodies. To find out more, hop on over to daredreamer.fm slash join. This episode was produced and written by me, Ron Dawson, with help from assistant producers Crystal Sun, Lucas Randall-Owens, Tommy Ferguson, and Chris Huslidge. All music used is Creative Commons and curated from freemusicarchive.org. Links to artists and tracks are in the show notes or the blog post for this episode. Be sure to sign up for our email list if you'd like us to email you a curated collection of eclectic Creative Commons songs, all available to use free of charge in your productions. We send you five song picks every week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Now, go leave that comment in iTunes. And remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with. Remember at the top of the show, I told you about a fun deleted scene? Well, here it is. So let me set this up. In the episodes, you heard my conversation with Patrick and Marshall regarding the making of Spelling Father. After interviewing Marshall, I was eager to hear Patrick's side of the story. After 13 years of doing documentary-style videos and films, I've learned that the magic happens when you get varying points of view on the same event. My conversations with Marshall and Patrick did not disappoint. Enjoy. So we were just going through some poems, and that was the poem. I was like, oh, I have one more. And they were like, yeah, sure. And then I did it. And then after I did it, all of a sudden, like, they it went from like oh we're filming like you know one shot to like hold on we need to like set this up <laughs> and put the background and like so on and so on mm. so like were they just doing their c and b game before all of that like you always have this impression it's still motion like everything they do is just like you know to the <laughs> nines but the way you're describing it, it's like okay we're just gonna you know like, like we're gonna do the we're gonna do the the pinch hitter or the, you know, the bench hitter, whatever it's called. And then they, when this came out, I was like, oh, we actually have this other stuff. Let me pull out the real guns. Like, like what were they doing uh, before that? They had the red. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like they were filming me with like, you know, uh, not to take, you know, they, they were filming with the red. So yeah. they had the red camera on and that, you know, so we already know. they started with the, the red. Yeah, they started with the red. Okay. And I already knew from like research that the the red was like that camera that like if you can afford this, like you could do like Hollywood esque movies. Yeah, movies are you shot know. with red all the time, sure. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, oh cool. I'm, I'm we're shooting with the red. Boom, 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 boom. And we had and they wanted to shoot like a lot of my poems. So I I've I performed like five, four pieces. So it was like the end of the night, and it was like, okay, I got one more poem. And they were like, cool. And then I did it and they were like wait a moment. Like it, it basically like gave them an extra boost of energy. Cause we were all kind of getting like tired. It was like a long day. It was like, okay, boom. We, we went to do the, 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 the clothes and the changing and the, this and the moving around. Okay. What's this poem about? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and then it was like, they got that burst mm-hmm. of, um, like that, you know, that 20, you know, that 23rd hour where you're like, Ooh, uh, right. we're getting tired. And they were like, no, we're up. We're good. Um, rolling. Let's do this, 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 this. And uh, again, I think it was just sort of like for that moment to have happened, it was like we were we were great where we were. And then for them to feel on the other end of that poem that that they were that they were, uh, you know, OK, we're going to put 
the extra last burst of wheat that we have of life before we go to bed tonight, we're going to put that into this um, because this poem moved us so much. So that's really where, you know, that that's how I would definitely frame how that experience uh, came about for sure. Yeah, yeah, I can't, um, still can't wait to ask uh, some, uh, Patrick about it. But, uh, what, but, you know, but you know what's cool about the story? You're saying that was the last one. You that said was the you last one. one. Like that, like, it's like you can't write that stuff, right? Or usually when you hear it, it sounds like if you were to see the making of that, like if someone were to reenact this whole scene, right, and they were to put it up mm. on the big screen and it's a scene from a movie and you knew it's based on a true story, like you would think that aspect of the story was made up for Hollywood. Oh, like, you know, he was doing all this great stuff. He's like, well, I do have one more. And that's the one that like goes gangbusters, right? Like, <laughs> I know. You know what? Like now <laughs> saying that back, I see it. Like you're like, hmm. Did that? Yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it was. Like, yeah, I got, I got, I got one more, guys. They're like, cool. So that that night when we were then in the warehouse doing all these different pieces, uh, Spelling Father was one of the first pieces we did, and I think that it's it's so strong and so powerful because he was so fresh and he was able to to go there and have so much conviction. When, when you say Spelling Father was one of the first pieces you did, like, what do you mean by that? Well, we did um, we did three. Okay. So it was when we showed up, it was the first thing that we did um, versus when the, by the end of the night when we're doing touchscreen, um, it, it's starting to feel a little bit more like he's performing it and less like he's living it, mm-hmm. um, which, which, I mean, it's still mind-blowing, uh, but you can, you know, when you get to know Marshall well, you can definitely feel that difference. Okay. So this is a fun example of he said, she said. Okay. <laughs> Because the story that Marshall told me was that you guys did all these pieces, right? And it was uh, minimalistic, like you said. All right, he didn't use those terms. But what he did say was, um, after you guys had finished these pieces, he said, well, you know, I do have one more. And the one more that he had was Spelling Father. And then he started to do it. He did it. And then after he did it, you guys were like, wait a minute. We got to do this right. Because there was something about the piece that really touched you. And then you got out more light and stuff and whatnot. And then you had him do it again. And so and so then after that, he and I talked about how cool it was and how movie-like it was that after all these pieces, this one, well, I do have like one more. And it was almost like a script where the one thing that he pulled out, the last thing he pulled out was this piece. But your story is it was the first thing he did. Okay, so is he remembering it wrong or are you remembering it wrong? I would go with Marshall Jones's version of the events that night. Um, I'm actually I'm I'm deducing uh, because I don't remember it clearly. What I do remember clearly is that touchscreen was more of a struggle, and uh, I do know that you know when he goes there and he's fully present, he just hits another level of of yeah. um, how he's able to convey his art. So right. um, that's where I was. I I had thought that that was why it was at the end because I know that we weren't we didn't feel like he was matching his TEDx performance mm. with the with the touchscreen. Right. Like and and he was he was fumbling a bit and you know. He, he told us, I, I haven't done this in a long time. Right. Like, I'm not, it's just not there. Um, so he wasn't as prepared for that one versus the other one. So yeah. um, that is entirely possible. I do certainly remember the fact that he did it. And then, you know, I remember the crew going, 
what just happened? <laughs> and then and then kind of going, wait a minute, we weren't prepared for that. Like, let's let's go, you know, let's bring back out some lights. Let's switch around. Let's get another angle. And we really kind of started going, you know, because we had thought it was like a one take and we're and we're wrapped. And then everybody came together and said, no, 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 <laughs> we, we, we got to take our time. And it ended up being the one that we did a whole graphic treatment on that we spent all the time on. And then, you know, goes on to be an upworthy best of all time with like two million views. Oh wow, that's Upworthy's best of all time. It, well, not right. the best. It's in in their their collection of right. the best of all time. In all seriousness, it was almost three years ago that they shot that piece, so I can give Patrick the benefit of the doubt. Plus, besides, it is so much more of a Hollywood ending the way Marshall tells it. <laughs> 